Ever been to Delaware? If not, now's the time to visit. You'll find a lot of fun in a little state. Since you can drive anywhere in the state in a couple of hours, you'll spend less time driving and more time enjoying. Explore from the bays to the beaches, stroll the boardwalks, and have an oceanside bonfire. Get a taste of Delaware at one of the award-winning restaurants and enjoy a local craft brew. See the first state's unique historic landmarks and experience Delaware's endless discoveries. Plan your adventure today at visitdelaware.com. Why pick one city, one beach, one restaurant, or even one view? With Celebrity Cruises, you can have it all. Explore the best of Europe, the Caribbean, and Alaska with the best premium cruise line. And now get 75% off your second guest, plus bonus savings on select dates with Celebrity Cruises' semi-annual sale. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Offer applies to non-refundable fares and select sailing. Savings vary by stateroom category. Other terms apply. Visit Celebrity.com for details. Ships Registry Malta. Hey, friends. This is Russ from Fairfax, Virginia. Do you want more? More Rebecca Laughter? More Kevin Humor? More Toby Ball cynicism? More Lara Bricktacular exasperation? I did. So I went to patreon.com slash partners in crime media and signed up. You should too. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime review podcast that looks into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, he spent two decades in a Canadian prison for a crime he didn't commit. We'll talk about the new season of the CBC podcast Uncover, Dead Wrong. Plus, they wanted to be millionaires so badly, they cheated. Maybe. We'll give our final answers about the AMC miniseries Quiz. Joining me to get that done is my true crime co-author and real-life husband, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Of course, you're also a former TV journalist. We should tell people that, right? That's right. And you should also see what I added there. I'm the one with the wisecracks. You are the one with the wisecracks. Yeah. That's your thing. That's my thing. Doing some character development in this podcast. Yeah. Well, we've had to make some adjustments to the script. Yes. Why is that? Well, we'll find out in a minute. So it's my reminder. Read the script. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, certified defense investigator, and certified cat lady, the one most likely to get enraged by injustice, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. Yeah, I had to add rage yoga into my schedule this weekend <laughs> to handle the rage good I was feeling. Know. Yes. That's a good way to channel that Karen energy, Laura. I'm really proud of it you. It is. I learned the lion breath. That's a really good way to get Get the rage out, Rebecca. <laughs> and finally, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our resident doubting Thomas, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Now, we should say we are videotaping this podcast. It's very exciting. Although it's videotape. Probably isn't the right word anymore. (laughs) Filming. So have to to explain why. I know. Kevin, would you like to explain why? We want to introduce our two audiences together. For those of you listening to the podcast, you should know we are now a Facebook Watch show. It's unbelievable. It's a TV show on Facebook Watch. You've heard of Facebook, right? Yeah. It's it's kind of popular. (laughs) It's going around. And so you'll be able to watch um, the next 10 episodes of Crime Writers On. We're going to be doing a companion with Facebook Watch. And we're very excited about the opportunity 
Mm. So now we have to say hello to our new Facebook Watch audience. Hello, Facebook Watch audience. And hello. explain who we are, because <laughs> they're coming to the party oh, a little boy. late. Who are we? We are four journalists, authors, true crime writers. We all live in New Hampshire. We all got together a few years ago when Serial first came out and started a companion podcast to Serial called Crime Writers on Serial. And then for the last few years, we've been reviewing all sorts of other podcasts, TV shows, true crime stuff, uh, pretty much anything in pop culture that is true crime and true crime adjacent. Yeah, so we're really excited about your opportunity to get to know us. And of course, the great thing about Facebook Watch is that we can comment and discuss right on the on the page. That's right. You know, you're getting to do that interaction on Facebook, which is right where you're watching this show anyway. So that's really great. And we should remind everybody that Laura, like we said, is the one who has her justice cackles. That's right. Yeah. She's a certified uh, PI, former PI and defense investigator. Right. Yes. And Laura, you get angry. I do get angry. Uh, having worked, I channel it now, but having worked in the criminal justice uh, <laughs> world as a defense investigator for seven years, I definitely get my hackles up when I see people being taken advantage of, when I see people being treated unfairly. And um, when I try to kind of control that, I go out and do some rage walking to get that feeling under control now. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. And Toby Ball is our fiction writer. He's so cynical. Because he can't believe anything is real. He's going to love it when we talk about the psychic that the police hired <laughs> oh, God. to try to solve the crime in this week's podcast review. Right, Toby? You love a good psychic. I love good psychics. <laughs> what else should our Facebook Watch audience know about you, Toby? You love the sports ball? I love the sports ball, especially the basketball and the soccer ball. <laughs> I I do. I host a uh, another podcast about a UFO abduction from the early 60s called Strange Arrivals. Which you don't believe is real. So I don't believe is real. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've written three novels and uh, work at a research uh, center at a university. Well, I work in a newsroom by day in public radio and do a little digital journalism too. And of course, we've co-authored several true crime books together. And Kevin, you used to be on TV as a reporter. I know. Can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> and you are our resident ham. You're our resident ham and cheese Absolutely. sandwich. So, Kevin, how can people watch this podcast on Facebook Watch? Well, you got to go to his uh, Facebook and in the search bar, just type in Crime Writers On. And it'll come up uh, and you can see on Facebook Watch. Our episodes on Facebook Watch will always appear one day after the podcast mm, comes out. Okay. So our first episode is going to be on Facebook Watch, 8 p.m. on Tuesday, the 7th, 7th of yeah. July. And then you can watch it when it comes out and any time after that. Awesome. And share with your friends. Share it with your friends. And say, these are my favorite like, podcasts. follow. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into it. All right. Well, should we go ahead and start this week's review? Yes. You should. Sure. Leading off. When I started... I started investigating this story five years ago. I wanted to know how an innocent man could be convicted for a murder he did not commit. What I found was that every level of the police and justice system in Nova Scotia contributed to this miscarriage of justice and took decades of a man's life. In 1995, the body of sex worker Brenda Way was discovered behind an apartment in Halifax, Nova Scotia, with her throat slashed. One suspect was Brenda's violent ex-boyfriend, Glenn Assoon. You thought when he knocked on the door, you were certain that he had killed Brenda. When I seen him, yes. His alibi was solid and the case went cold until investigators put together a prosecution with no forensics and evidence derived from jailhouse informants and psychics. 
After more than 20 years behind bars, Glenn Assoon's wrongful conviction was overturned. Charge of second degree murder, and you're going to be asked, how do you plead? And your answer will be? Not guilty. But if Brenda's killer wasn't Glenn, could it have been the serial killer living just a block away? That's right. We're talking about season seven of the CBC true crime podcast, Uncover Dead Wrong. Now, spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from the first five episodes of Uncover. So if you want to remain somewhat spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes. Laura Bricker. Yes. We have a lot to talk about about this case, but I also know that you and I share feelings about the Canadian style of true crime podcasting. Yes. What are your feelings about Uncover and does or does it not fit into that mold of sort of the more take-your-time storytelling style that our Canadian friends have become known for? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the first thing you'll notice about this podcast is that you're not going to you know, start right off with a lot of action. It's really going along with this journalist and this reporter in this very slow and steady sort of methodical what I've come to think of as like the Canadian storytelling um, method in podcasts. March 1st, 2019 is a cold, windy day in Halifax. It's mid-morning and I'm in a hotel room downtown. The room is full of people. They're making small talk. Everyone is nervous, expectant. It's Glenna Soon's room. He's the only one in the room not talking. And they really also, I think, do a lot of like how the sausage is made in these type of podcasts. So instead of just going to an interview with somebody that they've gone and talked to, we're going to hear how they got the interview. Was it hard to get the interview? How long it took to get the interview? We might hear them driving to the interview. So you definitely get a lot of the kind of behind the scenes, what goes into investigating something as a journalist, but also producing a podcast like this. But, you know, you have to stick with it. And that's the thing, as I had to keep reminding myself, is this is the way this story is, and it will build to a point where there is more action but it's not going to be right out the gate. Yeah, it's not going to exactly be like watching a thriller. Yes. Now, Kevin, Glenn is our central character. Yeah. We start with him right at the beginning. Our reporter, Tim Bousquet, is in a hotel room with him, kind of getting ready to go to court. So we get to know Glenn immediately, and a lot of the story is told through his point of view. But he's a complicated character, right? Like, you know, people describe him in the podcast as difficult. Other people describe him as exactly what you would expect a wrongfully convicted person to be. What do you think of Glenn as sort of a central figure in this, as a guy who was wrongly convicted of this killing? Well, he's a, he's a, a problematic character because the reason he was a suspect is he had been Brenda Way's boyfriend. And they had had a fairly abusive relationship from the sound of it. So in any other circumstance, this is like not the kind of guy that anybody would be uh, sending flowers to. Mm. But we know right off the bat that he is this, you know, victim of uh, a wrongful conviction. So, you know, I think I think that means that we're going to be like a little conflicted about this guy. But primarily, I mean, we already know that he didn't do it, going into it. I think that takes some of the sting out of it. Yeah. What do you think, Toby, when you have someone like Glenn, who the podcast tells us right at the beginning was wrongfully convicted? And so we know that the 
the story here is how did that happen? But also maybe who is the real killer? What really happened? Like they're really digging into this. But when you have a complicated protagonist, in, like like we do in Glenn, hearing about things that he did in his life and ways that he lived, um, how do you feel about rooting for a guy like this? Well, I don't know how much rooting for him is actually the right word because I think you can you can feel badly for his situation. In that, you know, he's got a little bit of a record. I think they say that he has a sixth grade education. And once he goes to trial and he's his own defense attorney with predictable results. You're giving giving evidence at this point. I'm I'm, I'm asking a question, Your Honor. I'm asking her what would she say? it's not it's not an appropriate question because she's already I'm tested. sorry your honor I'm, I'm not a trained lawyer yeah and I'm, I'm telling you you can't ask that question you know he's trying his best but there there are things he wants to get across because he knows he's innocent that he wants to get across to the jury he just doesn't know how to do it he doesn't know the rules of, of, of the courtroom you can sort of sense his frustration and panic that he doesn't know how to get this information across mm. you know you feel sympathy for that the more you hear about his time, actually in prison and uh, apparently how he brought abuse upon himself just by maintaining his innocence, but really horrific, torturous abuse on the part of, of guards. It's hard for me to actually root for him, but to understand that he is not only a victim of injustice, but of a system that seemed to work in a way that was unfair and the punishment that he received, particularly for something he didn't do, was so beyond what American prisons are supposed to be like. I know that they are that way, but sort of this idea of cruel and unusual punishment uh, is certainly the case in in the experiences that he relates. Kevin, we hear a lot about the police investigation in this case mm-hmm. and other actors in the investigation. Later, when we hear from the Innocence Project people, the equivalent of the Innocence Project people in Canada, they're like, there were five witnesses, which seems like kind of a slam dunk case. And then we start hearing about what some of these witnesses have going on. One of them is Brenda's sister, right? She uh, talks to a psychic and then is told there's going to be a knife near the crime scene and then finds a knife near the crime yeah, scene. This was a year later. Right. This is what we have to let people remember is that the case went cold. Right. Brenda Way was a, a prostitute in Halifax. Sex worker. Sex worker in, in Halifax. Listen, they refer to her as a prostitute a lot in the podcast, not the host, uh-huh. but people talking sort of about the case. We uh-huh. hear it all the time. We hear it in the news clips. We hear, you know, but clearly we want to we want to go with our preferred term, which is sex worker. Okay. <laughs> and, um, so Brenda was killed and there wasn't any really good leads, right? right? So people were, were looking at Glenn because he did have the relationship which was volatile, but he had an alibi. He had been at somebody else's house. It was pretty solid, no forensic evidence. And so it pretty much went stagnant. But then as like some people who were sort of around Glenn and around Brenda started talking to one another, these things all of a sudden started coming out of the the woodwork. The craziest one, I think, though, is definitely the knife. That uh, the sister had, had some psychic vision, or somebody had a she just psychic talked to a vision. psychic at a party, right? And it was like it was like your sister was murdered with a knife with a, a broken tip. A broken tip. Jane said she told the psychic that her sister had been murdered, but no one had been charged with the crime. That conversation led to four sessions between Jane and the psychic, over four separate days. At the end of that time, the psychic told Jane that Brenda had been killed with a knife 
And that knife had a broken tip. Surprise! And they found that she finds the knife right. a year later, mm-hmm. a couple of hundred yards or not even that, like like very close to the actual crime scene that no police officer saw. Right. Or dogs picked up. Yep. Yeah. yeah. But they also couldn't connect that knife as the murder weapon. That's so right. why that was presented as anything is crazy. Right. I don't know why they would do that. That's nuts. But Laura, this isn't the only time we hear that psychics are involved in this investigation. And that the investigator who ends up taking this over, McDonald, no relation to the nice lawyer McDonald we hear from later, yeah, uh, is somebody that liked working with psychics to help solve cases. What do you think of that as an investigative technique, former defense investigator Laura Bricker? Well, there are all levels of psychics. And I have a, a friend, a good friend, who actually is a legitimate psychic. But I don't think that this should be your only investigative tool. It's like lie detectors in a way. You know, there's there's much more traditional ways to track down witnesses and to track down leads. In some cases, you might get a little bit of information from adding on some side help. But in this in this case, they were going to sort of like what you call like the circus sideshow psychics. They weren't going to the legitimate psychics. I mean, are there legitimate psychics? Shh, in we're, the... we're not going to fight with Laura, but whether they're legit... Laura does a podcast with a psychic. I'm on a I... podcast about psychics. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I mean, I mean, they're like police certified psychics. Listen, we're we're not going to win this battle today. Okay. <laughs> no, but you know, I, I can think about cases like where I live here in in Exeter, New Hampshire. We have a very, you know, in our town, sort of famous missing child case. And as a little girl who disappeared back in 1984, and at one point they consulted with a psychic in that case who gave them, I thought, probably not really credible information. And they drained a pond because that was, you know, what the psychic told them to do. So, Close near water. I know. Um, I'm done with talking about the psychic. <laughs> <laughs> we just let Toby weigh in. Um, Toby... How would you feel if you were working on an investigation and then it was taken over by another cop who decided to put together a bunch of information, much of which came from psychic tips that also seem to coincide with witnesses knowing one another and perhaps telling each other things? I think I would shake my head sadly. (laughs) I I think uh, some of the decisions that were made here definitely uh, in hindsight don't look very good. The fact that he's innocent. So I don't know whether you would call it like officially a frame up, but they did fall into the trap that we've seen in a lot of other uh, true crime shows and, and podcasts, which is you you identify your suspect and then you make the evidence fit that narrative mm. rather than following the evidence where it leads. And one of the kind of surprising bits is when Glenn finally does get sort of competent legal representation. And they find that there's this whole list of other possible suspects. Mm. And it's not like sort of random people who might have done it. I mean, they're people who, you know, there's good reason to believe based on their past and based on, you know, lack of alibis or or actions that night could very well be the killer. How about based on their future? Right. Where the guy living across the street or around the corner is a serial killer, is an actual serial killer. Yes. Right. Well, I I do want to talk about that because that comes to Roberta, who's the main witness in this case against Glenn. She's a young sex worker. Uh, She tells a harrowing story to the police of being kidnapped and sexually assaulted. He kept hitting me and told me to shut up or I'll kill you. And the name Pitbull. He said Pitbull. And I looked at him. I don't know what made me say it. And I asked him if he killed Pitbull. 
He said, yes, and I'd be next. Never reports it because she has an outstanding warrant. But then years later, she says she was watching after the arrest of Glenna Suna for this crime. And she was like, oh, that's the man who attacked me. Because she remembers the man who attacked her saying that he killed Pitbull, which was, of course, Brenda's nickname. That's the story we get initially. And it's very credible. And it sort of is like, huh. But they just said that Glenna was wrongfully convicted. But then later we find out, Laura that the police coerced her into saying it was Glenn because they were going to arrest her for other sort of outstanding stuff over her head. What did you think of that whole Brenda storyline? Here's a real victim who was used by the cops to convict the wrong man. What did you think about that, Laura? (laughs) What are your feelings about police coercion, Laura? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Laura loves a good coercion. You know, I was talking about the story builds in this, and this is where it reached a point where she's talking about how they kept bringing her in. They are talking about you need to, you know, identify this person. We know you can identify this person. And she is feeling just eventually sounds like desperate. So she's like, it was it was Glenn. It must have been Glenn because, you know, she remembers that the person that attacked her was the person who had killed Brenda. And that's that's what the person said when they were done attacking her. But what I loved was I loved the Innocence Project people from Canada. I can't remember. They're not called Innocence Project. They're called like Innocence Canada. Innocence Canada. And I loved when they were talking to her about the description Because there was this weird thing where he was wearing sandals. The man that attacked her was wearing sandals and socks. But it was the wrong time of year for that. It didn't make sense. So she saw his legs. They were hairy. All that stuff. And then this is a big spoiler. I don't know if I should reveal this. But basically, based on that description, it became very clear that it was not Glenn that was her attacker. And it also became very clear that she had never looked at pictures of anybody else that might have been a suspect. That's right. Because when they showed her pictures of somebody that was a legitimate suspect, she's like, oh, yeah, that's him. And I'm like, are you bleeping kidding me? That's (laughs) what I would say. Her attacker gave her his address. Yeah, he lived like one block over. She told the police, you know, he lives on Jackson Street, or he told me he lived on Jackson Street. This guy, the serial killer guy, Lived on Jackson Street. It's that guy. I mean, it's definitely that guy. I mean, allegedly. It's my opinion that it's definitely <laughs> that guy. <laughs> uh, it's my opinion, too. And it's it just early on in the podcast, I didn't really have a sense of exactly what the injustice was that led to the wrongful conviction or what the overwhelming evidence was that he was innocent, because we knew that that's where this podcast was going. When you hear that bit of information, it's like, oh, bingo. Okay. This is a mess. It gets worse. We're going to find out in subsequent episodes that uh, there was information withheld by the uh, Royal Canadian Mountain Police that they never turned over. Yes. And we do find out in the end the reason to let him go is because the serial killer probably did it. Toby, I have a question for you. Okay. We hear a protracted trial sequence. uh, And one of the reasons I think we hear it on the podcast is because Glenn is representing himself at trial through a series of events Uh, that have to do with him firing his attorney and then not really listening to the judge when she said, you know, if you show up at this hearing, you don't have an attorney, we're still going to go forward. So he ends up defending himself 
And there are some moments that we hear in this trial tape where it's like, good for you, Glenn. Nice try, buddy. (laughs) Right? But nice try, buddy, doesn't work when there are also rules such as, you know, things have to be in evidence in order for you to talk about them in court. And, you know, when you question witnesses, you have to do it in a certain way. And, you know, the sort of just procedures of, you know, being a defender. Glenn didn't know anything about that stuff. What did you think about the fact that this man was convicted of this crime? In addition to having all these witnesses who all knew each other, which he, by the way, did uncover in court after representing himself. I mean, wouldn't you think that alone should lead to his conviction being overturned? Well, you know, if you have the right to defend yourself, I don't see how you can then just say, well, you know, the clearly wasn't a fair trial since I defended myself. Mm. I think that's a tough argument to make, although I think it is easy to go through and see that he's really just incapable of doing it. Mm. It would be rare to find somebody who can defend themselves as well as an actual lawyer who they hire, even if they are a lawyer themselves. Like, you don't want to represent yourself in those situations. It happens in law and order all the time, Toby, just FYI. It does. (laughs) Some serial killer will get up and just be like, great, and Jack McCoy will be super scared. (laughs) (laughs) Ted Bundy made that the plot of, you know, 100 television episodes. Um, But... What I was going to say was, oh, you know, it sometimes it just kind of reminded me of when I would like referee basketball games when Jake, my son, uh, was six or seven and the kids just didn't know the rules. So most of roughing was kind of explaining to kids like, well, you know, when you do that, you kind of have to dribble. And that was kind of like what the judge was saying is like, you can't, you know, you can ask that question. You just can't ask it the way you asked it. Mm. I think he was so aware of his lack of knowledge that whenever the prosecution would object, it would totally throw him off. Right. And you didn't understand the expectation that like, they object and then you try, you try it in a different way. He was just like, an objection would come, it would be sustained, and he'd be like, oh, oh, okay, well, I guess I got to do something else now. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's tough listening. And, it, and I don't know if everybody will have the same perception. It may just be kind of like the Rorschach effect where when I was listening to it, I, I just kind of felt like I could sense his panic that he knows he's innocent but it's beyond him to prove it, given the rules that he has to do it under. And he's learning on the fly, which doesn't help. Yeah. Laura, we do hear some defense investigators in this podcast. Fred Fitzsimmons. Yes. Uh, very outspoken, uh, strong advocate for Glenn for a while. Reminded me a lot of you. Uh, and he basically says at one point about Glenn, you know. What would you think of Glenn? Oh, complete asshole. Okay. Just because an asshole doesn't mean you convict him for murder. Talk about like whether or not that rings true for you. Did you ever do defense work for clients that you just found to be like very difficult? Oh, all the time, all the time. And that's that's something we've talked about a lot on our podcast over the years, like with the Stephen Avery case, where it was like, okay, clearly there's some issues going on here, but that doesn't mean that he got a fair trial. And I think that's why I loved this defense investigator because. You're not there because you're best friends with this client. You're there to keep the system fair. And you're there to make sure that they get a thorough and vigorous defense and that all the angles are covered and that the witnesses are talked to and that they have the same access to investigation that the prosecutors have. And there are lots of times where I remember having clients that were argumentative, that were demeaning, that were not nice to us. But you know what? They might have still had legitimate points in their case. And so that's one of the things you have to look at when you're doing defense work because a lot of times, like Toby was saying, yeah, like this guy is angry because he knows that he's innocent. 
And it doesn't sound like he was like the nicest individual before that. But then that just sort of heightened all these personality traits that he might have had before that made him difficult to be around. I always love when we hear from the defense investigators because... They're your people. Yeah, they are. And they're doing good work and they're out there. And a lot of times they are finding things that weren't found when, you know, police maybe were busy and didn't have time to follow up leads if they felt like they already had their man. By the way, did anybody else have root talk on their bingo card? Did you have root talk on your bingo card? (laughs) I did not. I should have. I'm going to run the stopwatch. And we're going to drive as quickly as we can. No, no, no. Well, no. following the speed limit. Following the speed limit. Now uh, we'll turn right on yep. Maple Street. Yeah. I drive this route quite often because I go to the grocery. Talk store. about why Root Talk should have been on the bingo card for this podcast. Well, there was a scene where the uh, a host Tim got in a car with somebody <laughs> and they drove somewhere i forget someplace important well i actually think you're pointing to some of the flaws of the storytelling of this podcast yeah. which we would be remiss or i would feel remiss if i didn't say i found this podcast incredibly difficult to follow yeah in many 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 parts for exactly what you point out i even have a list here of characters and what happened yeah and it literally says you know oh look the pimp bobby renner i'm like okay who is the pimp what scene was he in? Am I the only one, Kevin? Did you have any hard time following the story of this podcast? Uh, well, I I, uh, I supplemented my knowledge with... Um, so, no, you don't count. Yes. What about you, Laura? Did you find this podcast difficult to follow the points? <laughs> I did. And I will say that episode three was, for me, the hardest episode to follow. That was the courtroom episode where, you know, the host told us that he had access to these, like, I don't know, it was like thousands of hours of courtroom tapes. And then it felt like we heard thousands of hours of courtroom yeah. tape. And it did. And I felt like just because you have thousands of hours of tape doesn't mean we need to hear thousands of hours of tape. And I felt like that for me was like when you have like big blocks of somebody talking like that that's recorded that's not broken up with some writing and some transitions and some framing, then for me, it all just starts to blend together after a while. I feel like that um, when reporters sometimes have big blocks of research, yes, they fall in love with that research. Yes. Yeah. And so- That's happened to you. It happened to me, yeah. <laughs> it's happened <laughs> we, to we, me. Our editor, our editor is like, why is this in your book? <laughs> this is not interesting. So I, I feel- Nobody I, cares I like, what kind I, of car the serial killer drove, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I like the court scene, but I think it, it probably could have been a little shorter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Toby, I, I kind of felt the same way about some of the um, scenes in the prison episode. You know, we come to understand that Glenn had a really hard time when he was in federal prison in Canada. And I think that that's easy to prove and it's easy to back up. And also he's very credible when he tells these stories. And we hear that he was a pain in the ass because, by the way, he didn't do it. Right. I think we would all be a pain mm-hmm. in the ass if we were there. We didn't do it. But Toby, there was a lot. Like that kind of went on for a long time. It did. But I think some of it's important to tell sort of what the consequences are of this false imprisonment. Yeah. And then the other important thing that came out of it was his deteriorating mental health. Right. And that even when he finally does get competent counsel, you know, they're dealing with a client who's not only innocent, but also has these mental health issues that make uh, helping him out even more difficult. That's right. And I did love his most recent counsel, McDonald. No relation to the other McDonald. It's all, all these guys with Scottish last names. Another. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, Nova Scotia. That all makes sense. Okay. Laura Bricker, I'm going to come to you first. Would you recommend to our viewers and our listeners that they check out Uncover Dead Wrong? This is the latest season in Uncover, the true crime series from CBC Podcast. What do you think, Laura Bricker? So I would say if you are okay with a podcast, 
podcast that is a little slower paced, but also if you love lots of details about crimes (laughs) and you really want to know everything that happened, how the sausage was made behind the scenes and lots of detailed information, this is a type of podcast that you would like. So I didn't love it. I mean, as much as I've loved some other ones, but it was a really interesting case. Um, So I would say thumbs up. I always find it interesting when we listen to something that kind of gives us a window into the criminal justice system in other parts of the world. And I thought it was really interesting hearing about Nova Scotia and how crime and punishment is handled there. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Uncover Dead Wrong from CBC Podcasts. Yeah, well, we talked about the pacing. One of the things that I think that the slower pace really lets them do well is to sort of paint a picture of the community in which this occurs. You learn a lot about the lives of of the people who are both victims and, and potential perpetrators. And that's, you know, kind of a hallmark of a lot of good Canadian true crime podcasts. Uh, I actually, I I liked it quite a bit. I I give it uh, an enthusiastic thumbs up. I didn't have a hard time with the pacing. I I do agree that I think the third episode, which is the, the episode with a lot of court tape, you know, it needed to be broken up a little bit. I mean, you can kind of get lulled by just listening to court tapes, <laughs> or at least I can. But in general, I, I thought it was pretty good. Kevin Flynn, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Uncover Dead Wrong from CBC Podcasts. I'm a thumbs up, not an enthusiastic thumbs up. It's a perfectly serviceable podcast. CBC is really great at doing Uncover this is the first uncover that actually feels like a true crime story. A lot of times, like with Escaping Nexium or The Village, it was really a crime story. But underneath it, it was just sort of a crime wrapped around a story about a bigger societal issue. This could be a little more about the whole you know, wrongful conviction thing in general, but it's not. It seems to be just focused on this one particular case. It's, again, a perfectly serviceable CBC podcast. So I give it a thumbs up. So I really wanted to like this podcast. I think the case is super interesting. I think the uh, wrongful connection of of Glenn Asun, I think uh, the murder of Brenda, I think a lot of the stories we hear from her family and friends, and I think a lot of the courtroom stuff and the procedural stuff is really interesting. I can't give the podcast a thumbs up. I'm sorry. I found it too difficult to follow. I didn't think that Tim, the host, and the writing of the podcast did enough reminding us who people were mm-hmm. without referring to a scene that we didn't remember. He would be like, uh, remember, so-and-so is the person who did X. And I would be like, no, I don't remember that because that was not a very memorable scene. I do think that just the linear nature of the storytelling could have been straighter. It tried to be linear, but it didn't quite work in a linear way. So for me... As much as I love Uncover as a series, and I love the, my friends at CBC Podcasts, I cannot give Dead Wrong a thumbs up. Interesting case, though. Super interesting case. So what is it then? Thumbs down. Okay. Did you know that Delaware has endless discoveries? The first state invites you to explore miles of beaches and boardwalks, dozens of unique breweries, award-winning restaurants, some of the country's best state parks, beautiful garden estates, and even tax-free shopping. There's plenty of fun for the entire family and more. Find trip ideas and all the info you need to plan your Delaware discoveries at visitdelaware.com. Why pick one city, one beach, one restaurant, or even one view? With Celebrity Cruises, you can have it all. Explore the best of Europe, the Caribbean, and Alaska with the best premium cruise line. 
And now get 75% off your second guest, plus bonus savings on select dates with Celebrity Cruises' semi-annual sale. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Offer applies to non-refundable fares and select sailing. Savings vary by stateroom category. Other terms apply. Visit Celebrity.com for details. Ships Registry Malta. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. All right, Kevin, before we continue the show, uh, we have some business to attend to. Reminder to listeners. like shutting off all the the TV lights and (laughs) stuff. That's pretty exciting, right? Yeah. Oh, I was so hot from all those lights. You know what also I'm really excited about doing? What's that? Using the word fuck. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> we're trying to keep the swearing down in the we video portion can. of our yeah, We actually can, yeah. It, it just changes our rating. I know. I covered up my fuck Doug Evans picture. Yeah. <laughs> Bleep Doug Evans. That's what it says now. Everyone get it out now. Yeah. <laughs> fuck, 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 fuck. There's a really nice older gentleman named Wayne. Oh, Wayne. At, uh, at Facebook who watches and reviews mm. and does like the practice standards and practices. Right. They don't say you can't swear. It's just it'll be visible to fewer people yeah. if you swear. We can we can need like all the people we can get. And we had a discussion about this in a in a PowerPoint, and it came with a trigger warning. <laughs> the actual PowerPoint. The actual PowerPoint. Yes. The oh, trigger. really? Yeah. yeah. Because it's like okay, we're going to start talking about <laughs> core. And these are the words you can use, yes. or not even you can if you use this, and you have use more than three of these, yes. and then a bleep and a lip flap cover, and it just it was yes. And they had the difference between the partial bleep and the full bleep. Yeah. So it's either like, fuck, or yeah. just... Yeah, I'm, I'm contemplating whether to keep asshole in there, Rebecca. <laughs> you didn't let that one out. Yeah, well, it's in the podcast. It's true. I think ass is fine, asshole was in the list of things you have to bleep. I just... Sorry, uh, yeah. I just made more work for you. That's all right. I'm such an asshole. That's all right. <laughs> all right, so listeners, a couple of the pieces of business we have for you. One is, as you probably have uh, noticed, if you are weekly listeners of our show, we have entered our summer schedule. So for just a few episodes, we are going to be recording bi-weekly so that we can rest, recuperate, so that Toby can get a sunburn on his newly shorn head. Mm. Um, so yes, we are going to be going bi-weekly for the summer. This is our first week of our bi-weekly schedule. We will be back to weekly in just a few weeks. So hang out with us. Do not unsubscribe. This is, in fact, a great time to catch up on our back catalog of episodes, ones that you may have missed. Also, we've got tons of stuff on our Patreon. We've got our Patreon after show right now, a very special edition of the Patreon after show, by the way. We also have a new Leave it to Bricker podcast, a brand new Toby's Balls Deep Dive book club, and of course, a new Leave it to Bricker podcast because we make four shows for our Patreon. Yeah. What a deal. Did you just describe it as Toby's Balls <laughs> Deep Dive podcast? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Toby's Balls. All right. All right. Sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, what, what's Wayne going to say about that? Yeah. He'll never hear it. Wayne is like, you know how in Ear Hustle, there's that guy who listens to all the episodes who works at the Oh, yeah, the lieutenant. What's his name? Wayne's like our guy. Yeah. Kevin, before we move on, do we have any Patreon, patron saints of the week this week? Yes, uh, Dee Dee McIntyre and Eric Horton. Bless you. <laughs> what did Dee Dee and Eric do to become saints? They were our Patreon patron saints. They're on Patreon. Yeah, they're so, supporting us on Patreon. Yes, it's Patreon. all it takes to become an actual saint. I know. <laughs> Take that, Pope Francis. We're just making saints left and right here. So efficient. You're beautified. And you're canonized. <laughs> and you're canonized. And you've been... 
<laughs> if you have to take a week off the podcast and it's time to bring in a sub, is there going to be like white smoke when we pick the right one? Exactly. That's what <laughs> so we're going to do it from now on. By the way, you're Catholic, right? So we can make these jokes? Yes. Okay, just checking. I provide cover. Right, you Catholic cover to laugh at the Pope. <laughs> All right. Should we move on to the next part of our podcast? We should. Let's do it. It's multiple choice, which has never been done on telly before, ever. And you get to see the question and four possible answers before you decide to play. Right. So it's easier then. No, if anything, it adds to the torment. And there's no clock. They get as long as they want. Well, where's the tension? Because we're watching people potentially making life-changing decisions. In a bid to build an audience, Britain's ITV network created the event game show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? The show captivated the nation and entranced a loose group of trivia lovers seeking ways to get on the program. You know, a few of us fans are starting to share a little bit of intel, you know, information here and there. If you're serious about this, and you have to be serious... I'm serious. Diana Ingram, with advice from her brother and professional game show contestants, devised ways to get on the show with the Fast Fingers Challenge and sit in the hot seat. But when her husband Charles goes from clueless contestant to winning a million pounds, it doesn't take long for executives to get suspicious. I don't definitely know, but I think there's like a pattern. Of what? Coughing? From who? Look, there's got to be something, Paul. Watch last night's tape. He's useless. And then what? He comes back and that's a genius. In the AMC three-part miniseries Quiz, Matthew McFadden and Cian Clifford star as the Ingrams, and Michael Sheen plays millionaire host Chris Tarrant. Part heist, part domestic drama, Quiz will have you asking, how could it be done? And then, did they really do it? We're going to be talking about plot points for Quiz, so to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to get our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Toby Ball, this was a delightful miniseries. And if you say otherwise, I'm going to be really angry. So did you like it, Toby Ball? I'm going to spoil your review right now. Yeah, I did. Yay! (laughs) I'm so excited. (laughs) I was not really looking forward to it going in. But if I was going to teach a class on writing a miniseries, which I won't, but (laughs) if I was, like, I just kind of feel like this does so many things right. And I, I thought the writing was super solid. I thought the story was very efficiently told. The acting was good. I just thought the whole thing was just really, really well done. I thought so too. And I thought it was the right length. Yeah. It's so easy to see how like some lesser like conceived thing would have been like eight parts or something. It didn't need to be eight parts. Three was perfect. It was snackable. Mm-hmm. And Laura, it gave us a really fun behind the scenes look, not just at the case, but about uh, who wants to be a millionaire and the creation of that show. What do you think of that stuff? Yeah, th- I thought that was really interesting. I guess I never realized that the show actually originated in England, you know, because it's not like something I've watched a lot. I mean, I've seen it as I'm scrolling through, but it's not something I've like sat and watched at length. And so sort of that backstory about how the show was created, how they were like in the beginning skeptical that this was actually going to be generating viewers and excitement and then how it just took off. That was a really interesting window. But then from there, how it not only took off, but then created this whole subculture of masterminds. I loved it. Kevin Matthew McFadden. Mm-hmm. Who we know from? Uh, I guess he was Mr. Darcy. Yes, or something. But we more recently know well, him he's from, from. He's from Succession. He plays Tom. Tom. Yeah, <laughs> he was at MI Five. Yes, he's been in, in lots of ah, things. Yeah. Yes, yes. I love, by the way, that Matthew McFadden went from being Mr. Darcy to Tom on Succession. Yeah, he really does this befuddled character very well. Mm. I think uh, they just gave him some like really bad teeth. And he, no, he's English. You don't have to give him the bad teeth. Well, I don't think he has the bad teeth. <laughs> I think they, he had a little something to get into character here. 
and uh, I just sort of love the cluelessness. Um, I bought pizza. You already have pizza. Your message said no pizza. Yes, no pizza. Yes, as in we don't have any pizza. No pizza, so bring pizza. No, no pizza. We already have lots of pizza. Don't bring pizza. Stop saying pizza. I disagree with you. I don't think he's clueless at all. I think that's the point. We know he's smart. Yes. Because he went to, in the episode three when he goes to Mensa, we think this is going to be a joke, but he actually has a very high IQ. Yes, and he's a captain in the army, which isn't nothing, and a war hero, major. which isn't nothing. It was a major, that's right. Yeah. But also I feel like him being befuddled, and this is the, the trick of the plot. Toby, is this what you're talking about, it being tightly written? Because the miniseries opens, and the audience believes from the outset that this cheating thing happened. Like, we just believe it, and it's framed that way. Like, it happened. And we see the sort of befuddled Charles and we see his performance on the thing and we think cheating, cheating, cheating. And then the show sort of unpeels that. And I think he actually comes off as pretty straight and competent when we kind of really get to meet the real person at the end. Toby, do you agree with me or do you think he's befuddled as a character? Again, I mean, it's so short. I mean, it's not that much longer than a normal movie. But I think he does come across as being a multidimensional character in that I do think He's one of those guys who's who's smart about some things and then sort of seems a little bit out to lunch about other things. I don't know anybody like that. I was about to say. <laughs> it hit a little close to home. <laughs> like, there, I, I think there really is some question. Like, I don't know anything else about it. I just watched the, the miniseries. But, you know, when it's over, they're like, yeah, I can see like legitimate arguments for both their guilt and their innocence. It, it seems like you could go either way, and there are things about their personalities and past actions that also argue to go either way. So yeah, I mean, I, I thought that was one of like a number of things that just reflected on the thought that went into it and, and the good writing. I think when you when you cut something down to that length, that could have been much longer. It's like you're you're making a lot more choices than somebody who's willing to make that into a six hour thing, right? And I think the choices that they made seemed really good to me. Like there wasn't anything at the end that I was like, wow, I really wish they'd gone into that more. Or right. I'm a little unclear about this thing that's important. It's a neat little package. Laura, question for you. I mean, one of the things that the show brings up is that, you know, there is this community of people who are gaming the system to get on who wants to be a millionaire. It's really happened. Like mm-hmm. the room full of people answering the questions, like, you know, the, the fast finger machine that they make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that? cheating just to use the rules of the game get good at it and you know get you and all your friends on this show of course we also hear about the guy who's helping people get on and then taking a cut of the money but you know is it cheating or is it not what do you think so they i I think they set it up in a way that they open themselves up to something like this because didn't they talk about in the beginning that they weren't switching the questions when they had this show in different countries as it was expanding. So if it was like airing somewhere else. So if you really studied the show well enough, you were going to know what questions were going to be asked. I think it was the uh, screening questions. Yeah. Yeah. So telephone calls. Because everybody was sort of in on it and they would like write down the questions and share them. Because the way they choose contestants was by calling people and who who wrote in and and asking them screening quiz questions. So those are the questions that are being shared. So those were being shared. But I thought it was definitely like, yeah, you can phone a friend to ask a question. That sort of opens it up because these people are my new friends. They're, you know, in the room. (laughs) I've never met them, but I'm going to call them. So it seems like when you look at it, this doesn't seem like it was right. 
But at the same time, they set it up in such a way that you would be able to call somebody to ask for help. But it was, I loved the scene where the executive from the show like hooked up with that guy, Uncle Patty mm-hmm. or whatever his name was. Patty Spooner. <laughs> An underground sort of community has sprung up. Fans of the show that have grown into an unlikely resistance in the quiet little villages of England. And the perfect place to plan our attack. So, um, attack what? <laughs> the show, of course. Breaking into the show. But the room, when you saw the picture of the room with the binders, and I'm like, oh my God, this is like pre-Google. Mm-hmm. But it was so fascinating to me. Like, I, it's just a whole nother world. Now, Kevin, I think this little tiny miniseries mm-hmm. has one of the best done court sequences of anything we've ever watched fictionally that has a courtroom sequence. All right, explain why. It was incredibly tight. You sort of have the entire prosecution case with the tape that shows the coughing signals and so forth. Ronald Reagan. Rupert Murdoch. Aristotle Onassis. But the best part is you have this unbelievably kick-ass defense attorney Mm -hmm. who just bit by bit takes apart the whole case in such a beautiful way. That the so-called significant coughs are only 19 out of 192 recorded throughout the night, sometimes on the right answers, sometimes on the wrong answers. And that there is no way of knowing that any of them even came from Mr. Whittock. Ultimately, I found myself asking a lot of questions, mainly around the editing of the tape and then her showing that you could take any episode of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and if you isolate the coughs and boost the volume, it could sound like anybody is cheating. Mm-hmm. But I just thought it was very, very tightly done. It was very efficient the way that that whole court stuff played out. What did you think? Yeah, I, I thought so too. And your comments and Toby's comments are about how like tightly written was the source material was a book, but it was also a play. Mm -hmm. So if you think about a stage play, you know, it's not going to run six hours. So sort of the the idea of what is important has already been vetted by some other writer. You know, if it worked on stage, then just by expanding it slightly for TV, you know, it it would also work. So, Toby, uh, one very weak and silly scene that we saw in the show, which I don't know if it was true or not, uh, were sort of the retaliatory actions taken against the family after they, you know, were accused of cheating on this game show. I don't know if the thing with the dog happened in real life. If so, it's very sad. But the idea that children would bring eggs to school. Raw eggs to school? Who sends their kid to school with raw eggs? Just in case they see to somebody plan, they don't like. To plan for their mom to, to pick up the kids. What did you think of that sequence? There's so many the, dead kids. In the film, Toby. I, I thought that that was the one sort of bad choice I thought they made. You know, it's just it's almost just like shorthand. It's like, oh, by the way, the kids had a hard time at school and people really didn't like them. And they just took the easiest possible way to do that. And it was kind of cliched and stupid. But it was over quickly. I would love to know each of your thoughts about whether or not you think this couple did it. I have done a little bit more research into them. Mm -hmm. Lara, I know that you have on your notes that he had another brush with the law, but I learned a little bit more about that. So let's take that off the table for a second. With what you see in the film and then the little clips you see at the end of the real life couple. Yeah. Ultimately, do you think that they actually cheated on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? In your opinion. I will say that I think that this portrays them in a sympathetic light, honestly. Like when I finished it, I was like, you know, I'm not so sure that they did cheat. And then when there was sort of the epilogue at the end where it was talking about how they maintain their innocence and they've, and I'm like, 
I don't really know what to think, honestly, but I, I didn't feel like I was like 100% they did it right. when I when I finished this miniseries. Toby, do you have an opinion about this? Well, I mean, I don't know about the real case. Watching the, the miniseries, just his little run of decisions he makes when he's going through the things where he's like, well, I think it's this, but when I think of things at home, I'm usually wrong, so I'll go with the other one. <laughs> and I'm thinking Berlin... But, huh, maybe Paris. <coughs> the fact that, yeah, exactly. Have you ever seen the, the show, though? That's exactly what it's like so much of the time. No, no, no. I totally get that that's the whole idea is they want you to talk through your things. It gives you people insight. But his decision-making process was so bonkers yeah. that you could see it maybe working once or twice. But to have like a run of like five answers in a row where you're doing something that's totally counter to the thought process you're describing... It's, the odds against it just seems so high that you would blunder into that many right answers. But no, I mean, isn't the point that he knew it and he was pretending he didn't? So you think he actually knew all these answers? That's what he says in the courtroom. He says, the mm. ones that were easy for me are the ones that are hard for other people. And the ones that are hard for other people are easy for me. Because there's a whole study sequence, the whole thing with the band. You know, we see- But his, he's not what, studying any of that stuff. Yes, he is. We see him doing the pop culture thing, the actual, that band he knew in that in the sequence where he and his wife were jogging mm-hmm. and she's asking him questions yeah that's mm. i don't know oh, i mean let me just let me throw this, this out there imagine he's as awkward as he appears to be in yeah. this film yeah which i did some research and apparently his he was he had a, kind of an awkward affect and you think that they're going to want you to make good tv and so you're acting your way through it and you're just bad at acting your way through it it also could be that I mean, keep in mind, I've done a rabbit hole. I went down and watched YouTube clips. I've done a bunch more looking into oh. this. I don't think they did it. I don't. I, I, that's my opinion. What do you think, Kevin? I think that the uh, show makes a pretty good case that they did it. Hmm. Although you can always have you know, reasonable doubt and some plausible deniability. I think when you look at that run, the way they shot it, it was clear he didn't know and was asking for help and got it. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Diane called Techwick. What is the guy's? It's, it's, it's like the most British name. Techwiz. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as look, you know, practicing on the fast fingers. I mean, I guess that's not cheating. It's, that's not cheating. Jeopardy no, I mean, contestants do it. Part of it. It's a game of skill, and so yeah. if you can sharpen your skills. But you know, I certainly love the idea that uh, Patty Spooner had this boiler room of the greatest trivia players in the United Kingdom all waiting to be phoned. Mm. And they're like, uh, within, oh, something about uh, the population of New Guinea. No, it's over here. Let me go grab it. I'm just going to be put out of business by Google. <laughs> it looked like Carrie Matheson's uh, bedroom with yes. all those books. Yeah, I, I think the one thing they bring up about all this briefly is like, is this even like criminal? Is it criminal to cheat at a game? Yeah. And I was just thinking like the Houston Astros cheated to win a World Series. Nobody's even talking about those guys going to jail. And that's a lot more money than a million dollars. That's true. And the and the Patriots cheated to win the uh, Super Bowl. <laughs> Let's be real. Yeah, but what crime is it? That's they the win question. money. They get bonuses and stuff. The players get all get bonuses. You know. Then who's the victim? The other team. The team <laughs> the that got team? cheated out of it. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. I mean, the, all those guys lost those bonuses. That's true. Yeah, you, you might have a case in civil court, but you were not in criminal court. Mm. But but so then why is it different in this case? That's a good question. Who are they cheating out of it? Well, maybe there's a rule that they signed when they became they agreed to become contestants that they could be criminally liable. They have a special cheated. celebrity police. <laughs> that's right. That's, Apparently. That's awesome. They know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think they did it. So you have, we have we, a couple of maybes. You think they did. I think they didn't. I think they did. I think you're the only one who doesn't think they didn't. Do yeah, it. no, I don't think they did. 
Toby, if one of us were going to be your phone a friend, which one would it be? Don't put me. Don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope that I'd hope that I'd be calling some place where all three of you are in a room together. Aww. Oh yeah, it's about cats, Lara. <laughs> That's right. <It> depends. <laughs> I think it was rather prescient that the answer to the million pound question was Google. 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 Yes. Hey, Google of of, uh, of numbers. Google. Because, you know, the search engine Google just sort of has ended mystery and novelty. Mm. And, you know, at the end, Patty Spooner says he's getting out of the business. You know, you want to call that business. Of, like, trying to get one up on quiz shows. It was a business. They got a portion of the winning. Well, yeah. But he's like, I'm getting out of this business. Uh, because, you know, with the internet, like, truth is dead. And I, I'm going to make a confession right now. Mm-hmm. I have cheated using Google at Pub Trivia. Oh, <laughs> oh we may have done that too. Oh, my I God. I had Ken serving as my lookout when we nice. went to some trivia night, and I had my phone under the table, and Ken would look because the guy that was running it would come ar- around to, like, make sure nobody was, like, cheating. And you cheated anyway. Yeah. I cheated anyway. Hey, Siri, what's the atomic weight of tungsten? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now that we know that Lara's a cheater, let's do what we do. Let our listeners know. Should they check out Quiz on AMC? It is a three-part miniseries starring Matthew McFadden and Michael Sheen and lots of other great, great British actors. Lara Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Quiz? Thumbs up. Yeah, absolutely. Check this out. It's fun. It's three episodes. A lot of people I know are looking for sort of lighter, less intense crime to watch right now during the pandemic. They can't handle like super, you know, serial killer stuff. This is fun crime. And it's a really interesting window into the world of Quiz Fanatics. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Quiz on AMC? Uh, I give it a thumbs up. I thought it was really good. For all the reasons I've stated before, I would recommend it. Kevin Flynn, what about you? Yeah, I'm a, th- I'm a thumbs up. It's it's light. I love the procedural uh, in the heist kind of movie because this is a, really essentially a heist movie. How do they, they do did it? If you think they did it. Well, <laughs> it's showing you sort of like how could you cheat at the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire game? And they show you step by step like how it got put together. And, uh, you know, that's part of the that's part of the great fun of these of Ocean's Eleven and the Sting and these kinds of tales is to f- find out how it gets done and uh, whether they're going to get away with it. And this is a great example of that. It's a, it's a thumbs up for me. I really liked it too. I love the storytelling. It starts like as an inside out sock. You think you know everything. Mm-hmm. And then it's sort of like the filmmakers like reach into the sock and sort of pull the toe through. And in the middle, you're sort of conflicted. And then they sort of make it a right side out sock by pulling it the rest of the way through. And by the end, you might be at a totally different place than you were at the beginning. A sock? Uh, just a sock, whatever. Something that All could right. turn inside out. It was like a nice like unpeeling of the orange and then putting the peel back on like again. Like a bombus sock? Putting the peel back on with... With the outside in? I don't know. Yes. I was just trying to think of an analogy where you sort of start. Like whatever. banana? Yes. <laughs> okay. I really, really liked it. I thought it was delightful. I thought it was better than the uh, Oscar winning film quiz show, which I just saw again pretty recently. Yes. Better done, better written. Um, in some ways, higher stakes because it was more of a domestic drama that I really, really liked. Lots of warm hearted, good scenes in this too. I love the middle class British uh, lifestyle in their little suburban home. So for all those reasons, I am giving Quiz a big fat thumbs up. Ever been to Delaware? If not, now's the time to visit. You'll find a lot of fun in a little state. 
Since you can drive anywhere in the state in a couple of hours, you'll spend less time driving and more time enjoying. Explore from the bays to the beaches, stroll the boardwalks, and have an oceanside bonfire. Get a taste of Delaware at one of the award-winning restaurants and enjoy a local craft brew. See the first state's unique historic landmarks and experience Delaware's endless discoveries. Plan your adventure today at visitdelaware.com. Why pick one city, one beach, one restaurant, or even one view? With Celebrity Cruises, you can have it all. Explore the best of Europe, the Caribbean, and Alaska with the best premium cruise line. And now get 75% off your second guest, plus bonus savings on select dates with Celebrity Cruises' semi-annual sale. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Offer applies to non-refundable fares and select sailing. Savings vary by stateroom category. Other terms apply. Visit Celebrity.com for details. Ships Registry Malta. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. week. Seems like Arby's doesn't have the meats. Police in Buffalo say someone broke into the Arby's by Niagara Falls and stole $1,500 worth of frozen food. This is the breakdown. Seven cases of roast beef, five cases of corned beef, two cases of turkey, and two cases of curly fries. Investigators believe employees simply forgot to lock everything when the restaurant closed for the night. We know the hamburger... We know... (laughs) We know the Hamburglar doesn't go for roast beef, so the suspect pool has been sliced thin. Panel, here's my question for you. Laura Bricker, someone got themselves several weeks worth of Arby's goodness. If you could ransack the kitchen of any restaurant, which one would it be? Well, I am high in my comfort food mode right now in this ongoing life at home during the pandemic. So I would break into the Lexi's Burger Restaurant here in Exeter because I am addicted to their truffle fries and the truffle salt. And they also have everything else like milkshakes. I could go for that. So I could be set for a long time with burgers, milkshake and truffle fries. Okay. What about you, Toby? Well, I like how Lars answers supporting local business, even in this mm-hmm. podcast. You mean stealing from local businesses? <laughs> you know why I don't like her answer? Why? Because that was going to be my answer, <laughs> oh. except I was going to be the, doing the one at the uh, at the Newington uh, Yacht Club. Same same restaurant? Lexi's? Yeah, it's Lexi's. I think there's like, there's maybe four of them. Yeah. I mean, it's got really good burgers and the, uh, and the shakes are awesome. And the truffle. Fries, Toby. I gotta tell you, I, I've never heard like Toby the words yacht club come out of Toby's mouth. Well, it's not. I think people need <laughs> to a, understand it's not fancy. It's a marina with picnic <laughs> tables out front. There ain't no yachts at the Newington Yacht Club. <laughs> There's a lot of boats that are all wrapped up. Dry storage, yes. Uh-huh. That's where our boat sank a few years ago. <laughs> all right, Kevin, someone got themselves several weeks worth of Arby's goodness. If you could ransack the kitchen at any restaurant, which restaurant would it be? Oh, I, it's got to be Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, I knew it. Because <laughs> I don't have to heat up any of that stuff. I can just put it in boxes and I'd be good for a week. <laughs> Little box of 40 <laughs> jelly-filled munchkins oh, God, for you. Exactly. I hate to say it, you know, it's not my favorite restaurant, but it is my favorite fast food restaurant. Got to go with the Taco Bell. You know I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Sorry guys. I love me a bean burrito. I was in the road today. Picked one up today. It was delicious. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> that should probably do it for us, but Laura Bricker, before we go, do you have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> 
We do have a cat of the week. In honor of the chipmunk apocalypse and cats everywhere that are getting more rodents than ever, Shanna Smith came home from exercise class and found a random feather on the floor, and the main suspect isn't talking, and it's her gray cat standing in front of the feather looking at, like, I'm not going to say anything. So I was like, I need more information. The cat is Wayne. He's a mess. Wayne. And mm. Wayne looks pretty guilty to me, but I can appreciate this because this is like my daily life right now. So Shanna, keep up the good fight and you'll get the information out of Wayne someday. Well, Laura Bricker, if anyone wants to reach out to you on Twitter and comment on the fact that your house is full of murderers and pub trivia cheaters, how can they find you on Twitter? <laughs> At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, folks want to see what you look like with your nice, shiny, new short haircut. How can they find you on Twitter? You're not going to get a picture of me in my new haircut, but you can find me at Toby Ball and H. Of course, if you want to see that haircut, all you got to do is watch this podcast on Facebook Watch, right, Kevin? You bet. And if folks want to reach out to you and commend you on your exemplary film editing skills, how can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you strenuously to join our amazing community on our our official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page, by the way. Support this show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you will get the four podcasts we make there, including the Crime Writers on After Show. Our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. Our line editor is the brilliant and handsome Henry Lavoy. Our social media and newsletter maven on maternity leave is Meredith Plunkett. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we're not afraid to cough when someone gives the right answer. <coughs> on behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. Scale of 1 to 10, guys, real quick. How cute is Briscoe, scale of 1 to 10? He's very cute. That's not a, something on the scale. That's not a, that's not a number, Laura. Um, I am going with an 8.75. <laughs> okay. He wasn't... <laughs> I need a minute to decompress. Okay. Toby, what's your problem with my dog? He just wasn't as congenial as I was expecting. Mm. <laughs> I was waving at him through the window. He was just kind of looking at me with his sad little puppy eyes. <laughs> dog discrimination. Did you know that Delaware has endless discoveries? The first state invites you to explore miles of beaches and boardwalks, dozens of unique breweries, award-winning restaurants, some of the country's best state parks, beautiful garden estates, and even tax-free shopping. There's plenty of fun for the entire family and more. Find trip ideas and all the info you need to plan your Delaware discoveries at visitdelaware.com.